This episode is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. So, I mean, doesn't get any cheaper than that. Second, there are creation tools that will allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. I'm editing this podcast from a Chromebook using the web, so it's pretty easy to do. Um, If I can do it, you can certainly do it. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so many more services. So you don't have to go to each individual podcast service and distribute it yourself. It automatically does that for you. So that's pretty awesome. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So, I mean, it's a pretty good way to make some money. Um, And then last but not least, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app for iOS or Android or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M to get started or download the app for iOS or Android today. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Cells and Circuits podcast. I am your host, Chibe Zayanakor, and in this episode, we'll be talking about anime in Netflix jail versus anime in Amazon jail. Also, we'll be talking about the rumors of Google making their own chips. And after that, we'll go into Funimation using VR to simulate the theater experience. And without further ado, let's jump right into it. All right, so first up, we're going to be talking about anime in Netflix jail versus anime in Amazon jail. So I'll start by explaining both. Well, first we have to explain what Netflix jail is. So Netflix jail is when an anime that's currently airing in Japan and is scheduled to be streaming on Netflix is not simulcasted at all during the time of its release. And it is basically released all at once, either immediately after the show's season wraps up or a few months out from that point. And the reason for that is that Netflix is dubbing that show in multiple languages across the world. And there's a debate going on on whether Netflix's strategy of releasing anime is good or if it's bad. Um, Because Netflix does simulcast its other media, such as like live action shows and stuff like that. And it also even simulcasts anime in Japan. But outside of Japan, it doesn't simulcast anime. And that's become a real problem in the anime community because a lot of people can't talk about the anime as it's 
currently airing in Japan. And and that causes the interest of that anime to wade over time. And by the time that Netflix does release it, people have already moved on to the next thing. And that show just becomes another program in a sea of content that's on Netflix. So, yeah, that's basically Netflix Jail explained. So, next I'll go into Amazon Jail. So, Amazon Jail is when an anime that's currently airing in Japan is simulcast on Amazon, but doesn't ever receive any English dub, or really not just English, but in any language other than Japanese. So, a big reason for the concept of Amazon Jail is that Fuji TV made a deal with Amazon where they would exclusively stream Noidamina titles, which is a late night block on Fuji TV in Japan, exclusively on Amazon Prime. And that definitely has caused some tension in the anime community because not only does Amazon have a lot of ground to make up in terms of PR for their customers, thanks to Anime Strike, but also because Amazon doesn't dub their streaming anime and will lock up the streaming rights of those anime for years and years and years. So who knows whether or not Amazon exclusive anime will ever get a dub. It took Crunchyroll and Funimation in order for Cabinary of the Iron Fortress, a formerly Amazon exclusive anime, to get an English dub and a home video release and then eventually a Crunchyroll release. And that title was exclusive to Amazon for about three-ish years. So that's a pretty long time for an anime to be exclusive to one platform before it even gets an English dub. And we're living in an era where simul dubs exist. So I wonder what the problem is for Amazon, because it's definitely not money. They're owned by the richest man on the planet. So (laughs) it's not like they're hurting for cash or anything. And I think it's just a lack of interest in anime other than just streaming it. And I think that may not be the best strategy. I think that if Amazon could possibly copy some of the things that Netflix does, like producing an English dub or producing dubs in multiple languages across the world and doing that while the anime is airing and also promoting the anime that's on their service. I think that Amazon could potentially have a leg up on Netflix in the anime world. And the only thing I can knock Netflix on is pretty much just simulcasting their anime because they have the capability to do it, but they just won't do it because they want to bring anime in line with their other programming outside of Japan, where 
they release everything all at once rather than releasing episodes weekly or bi-weekly or monthly or what have you. And so hopefully maybe if Netflix learns from its competitors like Disney Plus and how they were releasing weekly episodes of shows like The Mandalorian and Star Wars The Clone Wars, maybe, just maybe if Netflix learns from them, they'll finally get it and start simulcasting anime. But who knows? I sure as hell don't. But I do hope that Amazon and Netflix improve their strategies for releasing anime. So yeah, I think that's going to do it for this topic. Up next, we'll go into the rumors of Google making their own chips. And then after that, we'll be going into Funimation using VR to simulate the theater experience. The Cells and Circuits podcast will be right back. Welcome back. And now it's time to talk about the rumors of Google making their own chips. So, according to a report from Axios, Google is currently developing their own chips for Pixel phones and Pixel books that will eventually ship with those devices. And so, that would help Google better compete with Apple because Apple uses their own chips in their phones and in their tablets and in their smartwatches. And eventually Apple will also use their own chips in their laptops, giving them full vertical integration for their devices. And so I want to talk about how this could help Google with the Pixel phones and the Pixel books and how it could help them with maybe even other devices that they sell. So for those of you that don't know, Google makes their own phones. They make the Pixel phones, which this year they're coming up on their fifth generation of Pixel phones with the Pixel 4a coming sometime within the next month or so and the pixel 5 coming out in the october november time frame so google has made their pixel phones but they also started making pixel books in 2017 with the original pixel book which is a computer that i hold very near and dear to my heart because i actually own that computer and that's my main computer and i love that thing is such a great device and i hope google makes a sequel to it and i also own the google pixel slate which everyone hated when the device came out because it was so laggy just didn't perform very well and the base model had the intel pentium processor and the price was too high it was it was a whole mess and it was such a monumental flop for Google that Google just decided to exit the tablet space entirely because of it. With Google making their own chips for Pixel phones and Pixel books, it allows them to better optimize 
Pixel phones and Pixel books for the chips that will power them and give Google that vertical integration that Apple has with their products. And if Google plays their cards right, that will probably make Google more of a formidable force in the tech space. And I think that this is something that should have happened a long time ago, but Google hasn't really been the best at retaining talent in terms of semiconductor manufacturing. They've definitely burned through a lot of talent that they've hired from Apple and Intel. And so that is definitely a roadblock to Google's success in that space. But I think that if they keep trying and keep working at it, I think that they can make something really special. They just have to not make any boneheaded decisions like they have with a lot of the Pixel devices. And so while Google Pixel phones and Pixel books getting their own chips is great and all, one platform that Google owns that could really use an in-house built chip is Wear OS. For those of you that don't know, Wear OS is Google's operating system for smartwatches in order to compete with the Apple Watch. And the Apple Watch is regarded highly as probably one of the best smartwatches you can get on the market. And that's because Apple, once again, has that vertical integration with their hardware and software that they have been able to optimize the software for the chip that's running inside it because Apple makes both the software and the hardware for that. And so I think that if Google really wants to make their own chips for a platform, I think Wear OS is definitely in dire need of it because Wear OS isn't that great when compared to the Apple Watch. And so Wear OS is a pretty slow operating system. It's not very good in performance and it doesn't have as many features as the Apple Watch, like the EKG sensors and Google Fit just isn't well calibrated to fitness as Apple's equivalent or as Samsung's equivalent for their watches. And so there's just a lot of problems with Wear OS. And I think that part of the problem for that is that hardware just isn't enough to keep up with the Samsung Galaxy watches and the Apple watches of the world. And I think that they could really stand to change that by just making their own chips and optimizing Wear OS for those chips. And possibly if they did that, a lot of Wear OS's problems could be solved by just improving the processor that's inside the watches. And so if Google wants to make its own chips for its phones and laptops, it should also consider making its own chips for smartwatches as well. 
because Qualcomm has clearly dropped the ball here and it doesn't seem like they're interested in smartwatches. So it would be great if a company that actually is interested in smartwatches can make chips for that. And plus with the pending Google acquisition of Fitbit, we may end up seeing made by Google smartwatches on the scene so we could potentially see a pixel watch in the future and, and that's if the acquisition goes through so that would be a very good opportunity for google to make their own chips for their own first party watches and so if google plays their cards right i think they could really have a compelling smartwatch coming down the pipeline, assuming that the Fitbit acquisition goes through. And so I'm pretty excited if this rumor ends up being true that Google is developing their own chips for phones and pixel books. That's great. I think that's a smart move for Google. And if they extend that into smartwatches, even better because Lord knows we need a good Apple Watch alternative in the Android world. And yeah, that's going to do it for this topic. Up next, we'll be talking about Funimation using VR to simulate the theater experience. The Cells and Circuits podcast will return in a moment. Welcome back, and now it's time to talk about Funimation using VR to simulate the theater experience. And so, for those who don't know, VR is virtual reality, and what it means is it can place you in a virtual setting that you're not physically in, though the tech makes it look like you're in that setting. And so people have used it to play games, simulate going to places, which I bet a lot of people are doing now that people can't actually go outside for much these days. <laughs> so yeah, but anyway, Funimation, the largest anime distributor in the US and in other parts of the world is using VR to simulate the theater experience. And so according to this article from Anime News Network, they've partnered with a company called Big Screen, which is a virtual reality theater company. And Funimation has expanded their partnership with Big Screen to Canada, the UK, Ireland, Australia, and New Zealand. And so they've currently already screened three films within the virtual theater. And those three films were Your Name, My Hero Academia, Two Heroes, and Akira. And then they'll have future screenings for other movies like The Disappearance of Haruhi Suzumiya, the Girl Who Leapt Through Time, Sword of the Stranger, and I Am a Hero. 
And so how is this different from Hollywood's film releases during COVID-19? Well, Hollywood has been releasing their films on the electronic sell-through services like iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, and Vudu, and Fandango, and whatever else is out there. But basically the places where you can buy digital copies of movies, they've been releasing their films that way because all of the theaters have shut down due to the pandemic. And so it's different because now either you alone or you and your partner or you and your family all watching the same movie at the same time on one screen. Instead, now you have just one VR headset for one person simulating a theater experience in virtual reality and there are pros and cons to each of them for example the pros for vr theater is that it's definitely more of a social experience because you can see the avatars of other people in the theater with you and you're all experiencing the same thing i haven't used big screen but you know maybe you could talk about it with people in different parts of the world since you're all watching the same movie like it's it's definitely a more social and more personal experience because the VR headset can only be used by one person at a time per physical location as opposed to selling the movie through electronic sell-through channels where it's just one purchase to either own or rent the movie and either just one person can watch it or two people can watch it or maybe even an entire family can watch it and so the Hollywood movie studios are kind of taking a potential revenue hit with that but I think it's for the best because it gets their movie out there even if it may not make as much as it would have in theaters the pros for electronic sell-through is that so many people can watch from just one purchase it's a cost savings for the customer because we all know that a trip to the movie theaters is pretty expensive whereas if you just purchase the movie through electronic sell-through it's just one purchase and the entire family can watch it and plus you can get snacks from a grocery store or a convenience store somewhere where it's cheaper than the movie theater and that's even more of a cost savings because now you have the one purchase split between maybe three four five people and then the cheaper snacks that's a huge savings of money so both methods have their pros and cons and now we can get into if Hollywood could adopt this VR film release strategy for themselves. And 
I don't think they should, and simply because not as many people have VR headsets. That's one thing, but another thing is because just one person can use a VR headset per physical location, it's an even bigger revenue hit because you have not that many people on VR and because and because of just the amount of people watching at one time it just doesn't make sense whereas with anime it being the niche that it is even though it's becoming more popular it's still a niche it makes more sense because anime is more of a personal experience for people and so i think that if it's a movie for the masses or it benefits the company if more people see it at once whereas for anime it's just more personal and so i don't think that hollywood should adopt this method of theatrical release even though it is awesome to see it in the anime space. What could this mean for anime film releases in the future? Well, once we get back to some sort of normalcy from this pandemic, I think that Funimation should probably explore doing a VR release of a film at the same time as a theatrical release of films that they want to release theatrically because there are going to be people who are still afraid to go outside after this pandemic is over and that's understandable and so I think it would benefit Funimation if they just release the films on VR at the same time as they release them in theaters once the theaters open back up and plus it could also mean that other companies could do the same thing. Like Crunchyroll could release their films on VR once they get them. Other companies like Viz Media or Aniplex of America and others could see Funimation's success and want to get in on that too. So I think it's a pretty smart development in the anime space. And I'm happy to see that anime and tech are coming together. And that's kind of what this podcast is all about. And these are the kinds of things that I really enjoy talking about. And I'm very happy to see that anime is using tech to innovate in entertainment experiences because anime has really been at the forefront of technology. Like anime was one of the first mediums to switch over to streaming before really any other medium. Anime fans were primarily getting their anime from streaming in the late 2000s and in the early 2010s before the rest of the entertainment landscape joined them. And so I'm happy to see anime embracing technology again. And this could be the start of something pretty big as VR becomes more accepted and as anime becomes more popular, I think this could really be a good direction for theatrical releases to go. And yeah, that's going to do it for this topic. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And also, thank you for staying safe and staying at home and following the CDC and WHO guidelines. Also, if you have any questions or if you have any comments about the subjects that were talked about in this episode, let us know on our social media. We'll have links to that in the show notes. Thank you for listening once again. I am Chibeze Anakor, your host, signing off.